Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, November 8th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Rising wages in Eastern Europe could come back to bite, and Israel has changed its position on who should control Gaza. Plus, the icy relationship between Australia and China is starting to thaw. I'm Sonia Hudson in for Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. International Monetary Fund is warning that soaring wages in Eastern Europe could actually hurt the region. Incomes have risen at double-digit rates in many countries. But the IMF says that despite that, productivity has pretty much stalled. And the fund is now warning that that could make the region less attractive to the Western European companies that have been expanding there. It's also unlikely to help these countries tackle inflation, which has been running higher than the EU's average. But the IMF's comments will probably fall on deaf ears in many Eastern European capitals. The incoming government in Poland, for example, is expected to raise wages even more in response to pressure from labor unions. Israel is planning to keep control of Gaza indefinitely. That's what Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu told ABC News on Monday. I think Israel will, for uh, an indefinite period, will have the overall security responsibility because we've seen what happens when we don't have it. When we don't have that security responsibility, what we have is the eruption of uh, Hamas terror on a scale that we couldn't imagine. It's a reversal from what Israeli officials said earlier in the country's war with Hamas. Netanyahu said this week that the Gaza Strip should be governed by, quote, those who don't want to continue the way of Hamas. It wasn't clear whether he was referring to the Palestinian Authority or another government. All this has people asking, what comes next for Gaza? The problem is, first, does this focus distract us from the here and now? Because there may be no Gaza, essentially, functioning place to rule over. That's Emil Hokayem, a senior fellow at the International Institute for Strategic Studies in London. He spoke to the FT's Gideon Rockman for this week's Rockman Review podcast about what it would mean for Israel to root out Hamas in Gaza. But how do you, you know, what kind of infrastructure do you rely on to make, uh, you know, what is a harrowing situation for these people a bit better? Because infrastructure today is essentially a Hamas-led one. Is every civil servant in, in Gaza a Hamas official that needs to be rooted out? Uh, is every judge, uh, every municipality worker, uh, every garbage collector? That's going to be a massive conundrum. And Emil says it's not clear who would be willing to rule Gaza after the war. A number of Arab states, uh, which have been quietly approached, say, okay, would you, would you want to contribute to that? Are saying, well, you know, no, we don't want to do Israel's job. We don't want to be in a situation where we're fighting a Hamas uh, insurgency. Ha- Hamas has already said that any external force would be seen as an enemy force that would be, need to be fought. And importantly, you won't have a transitional authority that is viable and legitimate if you don't have a clear political horizon. No one wants to be in Gaza forever. 
You have to be in Gaza so that you get to a point where there is a Palestinian state that is then responsible for the well-being of its own people, but also for peaceful relations with Israel next door. And we're nowhere close to having that discussion. That was Middle East politics and security expert Emil Hokayam talking to the FT's Gideon Rockman. You can hear their full conversation on the Rockman Review podcast on Thursday. Australia's prime minister went to China this week. The move marked a dramatic turnaround in relations between the two countries. Both of us certainly agreed that we shouldn't be defined by our differences, recognise that they are there, but also recognise the mutual benefit that we have. Anthony Albanese spoke with Xi Jinping on Monday over an issue that's been a pretty big thorn in the side of Australia. We spoke about trade and and welcomed the fact that we're returning to the exchange of trade that's been so important between our two countries. For years now, the relationship between the two countries has been pretty icy. China has sanctioned trade and increased tariffs on Australian goods, something Australia has denounced. Alan Beattie is the FT's senior trade writer, and he's been following the recent patching up of relations. Thanks for joining us, Alan. Oh, nice to be here. So what's the main reason why trade relations between China and Australia fell apart in the first place? So um, it was over something which you may not think of were <laughs> destroying trade relations over. But Australia called for an inquiry into the origins of COVID. This was extremely sensitive in China because, of course, the debate about whether it came from, um, from wet markets, from animals, or whether it was a lab leak. And so China, uh, in retaliation, put a whole variety of trade restrictions onto Australia. Australia exports a lot of commodities to China. It exports iron ore, it exports barley, it exports food as well. It exports a lot of wine. And for a while, it was really quite a, a tough confrontation. And how did Australia respond? Really what Australia did, which was very smart, rather than start a trade war itself and retaliate, its exporters, who are very good and very competent, found new markets. So the Australian wine industry looked to crack open the US market, which they'd not really done before. Um, Australia managed to sell its barley elsewhere. And in some cases, such as with iron ore, Australia found that it actually could continue to export iron ore to China just because China couldn't find an alternative source. So actually, Australia managed to roll with the punch and not get damaged that much. Has China used similar trade tactics elsewhere? Um, yes. So Lithuania recognized the Taiwanese mission in Lithuania and called it something slightly different from the standard EU thing. China, of course, is extremely sensitive about Taiwan and said, oh, you know, this is outrageous. You're treating Taiwan as though it's an independent country. And without really announcing it, started trade sanctions so that Lithuania suddenly discovered they couldn't get the paperwork uh, to export to China. But what actually happened is pretty similar. I mean, Lithuania is a very small economy anyway. It's just a small country. And they quite easily found alternative export markets. And also Taiwan, which was very grateful for this support, came in and offered them, I think, credit lines and help with possibly developing a semiconductor industry and so forth. So similarly... Lithuania found that the, the Chinese blockade didn't actually make that much of a difference. Okay, so given that these trade tactics didn't really work on either a larger country like Australia or a smaller one like Lithuania, has China changed course? It's hard to say whether it's changed at all because China's state is 
so large and has so many ways of intervening, it's quite easy for China to to use one of lots and lots of ways to punish countries for something. Whether or not it's now stopped doing that is not clear. Personally, I would doubt it. Alan Beattie is the FT's senior trade writer. Thanks, Alan. Thanks so much. Before we go, China is having a pork problem. Demand for the commodity has plummeted recently, and with that, so have its prices. Now, economists are worried this might tip the country back into deflation, where consumer prices across the board actually decline. That would complicate Beijing's efforts to boost consumer confidence. It hasn't exactly been a great year for the world's second-largest economy. China last fell into deflation back in August and has struggled to recover from pandemic-era lockdowns. Meanwhile, the all-important property sector has just been a mess. China's consumer price index data from October is set to be released on Thursday. You can read more on all these stories at ft.com for free when you click the links in our show notes. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.